today on Act News Daily. Having to always watch what's happening with um, Russia, Ukraine, that every headline makes the wheat market move dynamically one way or the other. We'll want to keep an eye on where energy demand is at. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, sponsored today by Your Soy Checkoff. Tanner, how are we doing today on this Friday, September 12th? I remember to include the date. Did you say it was Friday? Oh, so close. Monday, September 12th. <laughs> here I was thinking I remembered to include the date, but I didn't get the day correct. <clears throat> Well, I must be doing much better than you, although it does seem like the first half of Monday drug on like the week is hopefully not going to. But otherwise, it's a good weekend. Uh, I'm fine with cooler temperatures. Fall seems to be on its way here in Iowa. How was your weekend? It was good. I watched the crappy Iowa-Iowa State game on Saturday. That was nothing good to write home about, really, for either team, in my opinion. And I went to a NASCAR race yesterday. I don't know. Uh, it's still a win, even though the score is not very high. So go clones. I was certainly happy about that, although it was a game that nobody could ever really get comfortable with. So uh, glad it's behind us. And now each team can pursue their own conference destinies and go on from there. Delaney, first thing I'm going to report on today is out of Oregon. So the wildfire there is 0% contained as of Sunday night. It has now burned more than 87,000 acres. So firefighters in Oregon are battling this out-of-control wildfire that has been inflamed by shifting winds and high temperatures in the state over the weekend. So Cedar Creek fire is now grown by over 32,000 acres on Sunday and breached existing lines of containment, according to officials. So more than 1,200 firefighters from 29 different states are fighting this six-week-old fire. I didn't even realize it had been that old, Delaney. Wow. But there are over 2,200 homes and over 450 commercial structures under threat from the Cedar Creek fire. And they are hoping that some of the wet weather, California-wise, will push up as the storm front moves out. But certainly all hands on deck to try and get that fire contained. Yeah, Tanner, and I think that there are wetter conditions in sight for certain areas of the country, but it doesn't sound like that area in particular is going to be one of them. But we saw a pretty warm full week of September, first full week of September with some spotty rainfall across the Corn Belt, eighth driest first full week of September, but in the areas that did get rainfall quite a bit above normal. We also saw temperatures in the middle of the country continue to be above normal, eighth warmest for first full week of September in 30 plus years, Tanner. But autumn temperatures are starting to work their way back into the mix. You know, I I leave pretty early to go to the gym most mornings and it's about 50 degrees when I'm getting up in the morning and heading to the gym and those temperatures are expected to continue here uh, so much so that there is not any potential risk right now of early frost, at least in certain portions of the middle part of the country here. So not a concern yet that people in the Corn Belt have to worry about, but I know that is certainly one that our neighbors to the north have to worry about, Tanner. 
Right. I saw temperatures got down to 39 degrees Oof. in northwestern Iowa over the weekend. But back out to California and the between California and Las Vegas, flash flooding has now become a reality. The lingering remnants of Tropical Storm K is continuing to add fuel and heavy showers across parts of the desert southwest. So into Monday and tomorrow, there is going to be ongoing flooding risks. Large sections of the eastern side of Nevada and Arizona and a few counties in Southern California are under flood alerts, including Las Vegas, Tucson, Flagstaff, and parts of Phoenix. So just too bad we can't get that rain to push up north to help out our friends battling those fires. But K is no longer a storm, but the moisture from K is sitting in the atmosphere, and that moisture is going to be funneled back up into the southwest once again starting today and move on out. Meteorologists are potentially looking at flooding over the next 24 to 36 hours, but maybe Delaney will get some rain pushed over into Texas if we see which way these fronts continue to move. Well, Tanner, heading back out west here, switching tracks to talk about the rail industry. Did you see what I did there? I thought that was a nice subtle pun, so I had to point it out for you. That was a good one for Friday, September 12th. (laughs) Thank you. Well, When we look at what's going on with the rail unions, they're continuing to be stuck in negotiations here, Tanner. And September 16th at midnight, so really September 17th, is when we could see about 90,000 railroad workers go into a full-on strike and walk off the job, which, of course, as we've pointed out, is coming when that could really upset supply chain issues as harvest time is beginning in much of the country. Now, Tanner, I hadn't realized this, but apparently this negotiation has been ongoing for two years and they still have not been able to work things out. Yeah, that was quite interesting. It seems like uh, the sides are just really far apart and not getting to understand. It says here that the two unions have not accepted the terms of the PEB 250. So that came from President Biden's Presidential Emergency Board. Both unions have made it very clear that their biggest issues are current rules controlling worker scheduling. And it seems like those are not getting met. Those conversations are not being had. So that there is a huge push amongst family members of rail crew workers for a work-life balance. And a lack of that has caused some rail workers to retire early. So it seems quite simple from the outside, Delaney, but I know it's not that way in the trenches. No, it certainly does not sound that way, Tanner. The other thing that is not going to be good for those in the trenches is those in the path of bird flu this flu season. You reported a little bit, Delaney, on it last week. Ohio seems to be the one that's getting hit the hardest here as it kicks back off. So summertime lull, we discussed... After uh, we got through that is now starting to pick back up. There are outbreaks now on commercial poultry farms in Minnesota and Ohio since the 1st of September. This is going to only cause more risk of outbreaks higher this autumn. And it is expected for turkey breast meat and eggs to remain at all-time high prices. So not good news there. An egg farm in northwestern Ohio began calling 3 million egg-laying hens last week following the discovery of bird flu. I believe that's the story, Delaney, that you reported on. 
Yes, it is, Tanner. And we're starting really to see things swell back up here with uh, warmer conditions. You know, as we were just talking about there, it's going to be expected to continue those warm conditions through much of September, which increases the threat for avian influenza to remain a uh, threat on those operations. So just remain vigilant if you are a poultry farmer. But Tanner, I want to switch tracks here and talk about Russia, Ukraine, because Ukraine had a little bit of momentum over the weekend in a battle with Russia. They tried to retake territory in the northeast portion of the country that Russia's held basically for the past six months. And this apparently caught Russian troops by surprise. They scurried to retreat and Ukrainian troops claim that they reached Russia's original border in some instances, but that's not yet to be confirmed. Russia responded by saying that they chose to withdraw troops, but nonetheless, uh, certainly a little bit of a win here for Ukrainian soldiers and the country as a whole. We also got some news that France signed an agreement with Romania on Sunday to increase or assist to increase Ukrainian grain exports to developing countries, meaning that they're going to basically uh, move around Russia and they don't need them to be part of that agreement since a lot of other European nations are stepping in to ensure that grain gets out of the country and to those developing countries that we talked about that really need it right now. That is good news. We can get more grain shipped out. Obviously, we had that report last week on where the grain has gone so far. Um, Hopefully, it continues to get to those who need it. Well, before we jump into the Wasley Report, let's take a break here for a message from our sponsor this week. Who mapped the soybean genome? You did. Yes, you. Better varieties are on the way. Today's soybean farmers, that's you, are achieving big breakthroughs in seed. How? By pooling your resources through your soy checkoff. Your soy checkoff research sequenced the soybean genome to help seed companies and other researchers bring better varieties faster to your operation. See all the ways your soy checkoff is moving soy forward for you at unitedsoybean.org slash hopper. As always, Delaney, it's great to have partners. And before we get into the WASDE report, I wanted to update everybody. We talked about the DTN's digital yield tour. That was uh, before the on the boots on the ground yield tour that went across. DTN is saying that their grow intelligence national corn yield estimates climbed by nearly three bushels in the last month following their original August trip, while soybean yields declined by a half a bushel. So now the grow yield model that updates daily is saying that as of September 8th, the national corn yield is 170 bushels per acre, while the soybean yield estimate is 48.4 bushels to the acre. States here, Todd Holtman, the lead analyst for DTN, says they think 170 bushels per acre is probably close to what the trade is anticipating as a final yield. Both of Grow's estimates are lower than the August USDA report, which came in at 175.4 for corn and 51.9 for soybeans. The USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Services will release the updated crop protection, crop production report that we're going to talk about next, Delaney, here today on Monday, September 12th. Well, Tanner, we certainly got a interesting report today, and it was fairly in line with what traders were expecting. We saw both corn and soybean yields 
uh, decreased this month on the corn balance sheet. We saw yields come in today at a one. 72 and a half down from a 175.4 that we saw in August. Soybeans came in at a 50.5 today compared to the 51.9 that was noted in August's report. And that largely was caused by a decrease in harvested acres, which I'm sure we'll get into here with Naomi coming up in just a moment. But before we do that, Tanner, taking a look at where markets closed for today, certainly had some negative trade ahead of the WASD report. Following the report, though, grains across the board, except for wheat, traded higher. New crop corn traded about 10 cents higher on the day to close at 6.95. New crop soybeans went limit up today at 75 cents on the board to close at right around that 14.88 mark. And wheat traded lower 12 cents to close right around 8.57. Whereas livestock today, really, obviously, they didn't have an exciting report to trade on, but certainly were Trading lower in feeder cattle at uh, increased feed costs here. September, excuse me, October feeder cattle down $2.37 today to close at 183.20. October live cattle up 12.5 cents at 145.80 and lean hawks closed 30 cents lower in the December contract to close at 82.82. Tanner, without further ado, before we kick it over to Naomi Bloom to talk markets for today, Let's take one more quick message here from today's sponsor. Who's the number one protein source in chicken feed? You are. That's right. You're winning. Today's soybean farmers, that's you, are really big in animal egg. How? By pooling your resources through your soy checkoff. Your soy checkoff is working with poultry and livestock producers, growing existing relationships and forging new ones to bring tangible returns back to you. See all the ways your soy checkoff is moving soy forward for you at unitedsoybean.org slash hopper. Well, folks, we are joined once again by Naomi Bloom of Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, no shortage of topics to talk about with markets today in this WASDI report. Boy, was there a surprise today for soybeans indeed. So plenty to talk about. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you look at yield. That was not the surprise. Tell us about the surprise that we saw. The surprise came in the aggressive cut for planted acres on soybeans. So last month they had the acres at 88 million for planted acres and they dropped it down to 87.5. So that was substantial. And of course, then harvested acres were cut too. So between a big acre cut and a more than expected yield cut. You know, we had yield last month at 51.9. I think trade thought they might trim it a little bit, but they actually dropped it to 50.5. So that was a tremendous, tremendous cut to production that the market was not expecting at all. And that was over the top friendly and bullish, even able to offset the reduction that they did in demand on this report for soybeans. Because that triggers a lot of different things across all commodities. It starts obviously with the soybeans, but ending stocks were another conversation too, right? Absolutely. So soybean ending stocks came in at a very small 200 million bushels, down from 245 last month. And usually we don't see a number on that smaller side of 200 million bushels 
until we get into spring when maybe we're starting to try to have a fight for acres. So the fact that we got a tight carryout number for soybeans and corn and wheat and all the other commodities, you know, we're back to square one where we have still those nine grain and oilseed commodities with tight ending stocks here. And then, as you know, of course, the Northern Hemisphere did not have a great production number this summer. So we're starting harvest with tight ending stocks. And it just makes you wonder, okay, what's what is going to happen from here, especially as the planters get rolling in the next few weeks? Yeah, because I was reading some commentary after the report came out today that suggested uh, small crops only get smaller from here, Naomi. Yeah, and that, you know, truly is kind of a rule of thumb. So, I mean, this was just eye-opening. The USDA has been transparent more than other years. Um, They've been more forthright to say when there's a supply issue. Ever since the Derecho storm, the USDA has been a little bit more proactive in being transparent about supply numbers. I got to tell you, I didn't think that they would be this transparent today. I thought we would probably take till January until we got these kind of numbers from production. But the fact that they did it today, along with reducing demand, I think was a big flag to the world to say, hey, we don't have a record crop here in this country. Uh, So heads up, everybody. Yeah, so that just triggers a whole lot of conversations, especially when we've got new headlines coming out of Russia and Ukraine. And we're looking at our own conditions here at home, plus what's happening in South America. Globally, is there a concern that our listeners should be aware of, or we just have to see how this rides out? Well, I think it's we're in the same position that we were a year ago. You know, last year, you know, the world was alerted to the fact that North Northern Hemisphere crops weren't perfect last year, and now we have a repeat of that this year. The global ending stocks for the world for grains is just nudging lower. Um, And so there's, you know, now we have this big pressure for South America. Now they've got to get it right this this upcoming winter. And I remember saying that a year ago, um, you know, in November, going into Thanksgiving, starting to talk about their growing season. You know, you know, we've tried to emphasize if they don't have a record crop, prices are going to, you know, take off higher during January and February, and we are back in that same boat because what's, you know, kind of different now is that because the entire Northern Hemisphere did not have a record crop, it's not like another country can come in and fix this or, you know, swoop in and save the day in terms of um, of selling other countries' product. We're all tight on supplies. And that's, uh, again, I think what this re- report today showed as well. So, Naomi, obviously we had some fireworks, especially in the soybean market today. Not limit up, I stand corrected. Um, but still, nonetheless, you know, 70 plus cents across most futures contracts months here. Heading into harvest time, if growers are still sitting on new crop, what are you recommending folks do? Well, I would say this. If you are going to be selling off the field um, you're going to want to start looking at re-ownership strategies um, because, you know, now, again, we have to have South America have a perfect crop. And that's not going to make ending stocks get bigger. It's just going to put a Band-Aid on things temporarily. So if you are making sales off the field or if you did any forward contracting recently, I would start looking at re-ownership 
Um, you know, always bear in mind there could be something on the demand side that would be a, a black swan that can make prices fall. But again, with the USDA being honest today about our lack of supply, I think we're in a bull market until we get into the early months of 2023. So if you, again, if you are selling off the field, start looking at re-ownership strategies now to get you in the next spring. That's good advice, Naomi. And the one thing that I've been keeping my eye on as a banker is the Fed meeting coming up next week. We're less than 10 days away from a pretty strong potential of a three quarter of a percent hike again. What what is that impact going to have over the next couple of months as we are projected to see multiple rate hikes? Well, the the next hike that comes, I think, is priced in already. Um, but what that does do is help um, dampen demand for the future. You know, you're going to see different companies maybe not do expansions. Um, we could see that in the form of how that could affect agriculture. Um, so there still is this clash of outside markets, um, you know, maybe wanting to depress demand on the higher interest rate conversation. And that's a, that's a true thing. That is something to watch. But again, the USDA today saying we are low on supplies. I mean, the last two to three reports, they've already lowered demand across various categories for corn and beans and wheat. And today they lowered corn demand for ethanol, feed, and exports. And they also, on the bean category, they lowered crush demand and export demand already. So we're, we're seeing the demand come down. The USDA is accounting for that. And I think that that helps to, in a way, offset the higher interest rates. Um, so for the farm community itself, I mean, obviously that affects farmers' bottom lines as they're working on strategies with their lenders. Um, but as far as the markets go, I think we're in a situation where the lack of supply is still the ultimate bullish story going forward because it's not just here, it's around the world. So Naomi, uh, obviously today's markets were largely re- related to the WASD report, but where do we trade from here the rest of this week? Well, you know, what's interesting is that I think if the beans would not have been up 70 cents, I think you would have seen corn and wheat fall back um, big because the corn numbers were pretty much all factored in and corn only finished, you know, seven to nine cents higher today. So if beans wouldn't have been up, I do think corn would have been pulled back lower and there weren't really any changes to wheat. So I think wheat would have probably seen a little bit bigger of a pullback. It wouldn't surprise me if we see a turnaround Tuesday tomorrow and have prices down a little bit. November beans at this time don't necessarily have a reason to go above $15 futures, but now I can say that $14 is definitely support. And late last week, soybeans put in a bearish key reversal and made it look like things were going to crash lower. And boy, they, they negated that bearish key reversal today. So I'm looking for probably a little bit of a pullback, but ultimately, if we get any pullbacks this week, I would use that as an opportunity for re-ownership into next spring, like I was talking about a little earlier in the show. So as we get ready to wrap up today on our Market Monday Conversations, is there anything else our listeners should pay attention to or watch here in the upcoming weeks? Well, I think you did a great job of, you know, talking about keeping an eye on interest rates, keeping an eye on outside market news, of course, having to always watch what's happening with um, Russia, Ukraine, that every headline makes the wheat market move dynamically one way or the other. 
we'll want to keep an eye on where energy demand is at. And now in about a month is when China is supposed to be having their big um, political get together where they elect the president again and they start to come out with kind of their objectives and agenda for the coming year or two. So we'll want to watch that as well. Um, and oh, yeah, later this week, we finally get a peek at those export numbers that we haven't been able to see for three weeks. So there's a lot of information that could move the market this week, higher and lower and um, quarterly stocks already coming up at the end of the month. So lots of things to be talking about watching along with actually combines moving and rolling and getting concrete numbers from the field about where this prop is at. Yes. Wow. That was a lot of things that you mentioned there to be watching the rest of this month, Naomi. And I know you do a great job staying in tune with all of those different moving pieces. If some of our listeners want to read your stuff or follow you on social media, how can they find you? Yeah. Give me a call at Total Farm Marketing 100-334-9779. Or you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Naomi Bloom and that's B-L-O-H-M. Fantastic. Well, Naomi, thanks again for joining us. Certainly appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Good to visit with you. Appreciate it so much. There you go, Delaney. Another Market Monday that we probably won't forget for a little while. A little surprise in a lot of different fronts. Yes. And obviously, um, I'm a little surprised, Tanner, at how poor I did reading today's markets and wise report. But thankfully, we've got Naomi there to clean it up. Hey, that's what we bring in the experts for. But our listeners, they know they can get information here every day of the week. Remember to follow us on social media for any up-to-date information that we catch. But what do you say for today, Delaney? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.